The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bagels podcast. We are so excited to have the live listeners with us, and we are so grateful for you downloading this program, even if it's after the fact. If you if you can at some point join us live, we would love to have you join us live. We're usually on Wednesday nights. Um, I, I do want to say this. We may have a little bit, just a preemptive, we may have a little bit of a scheduling issue next week because it's Halloween, and... Uh, I have a little guy, and Scott has a little guy, um, so we may have to go take take those guys out trick or treating. So we may do a Tuesday or Thursday night podcast. We'll we'll try and work around that. It is the bye week, so hey, you know, we're 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 kind of we're gonna kind of be a little lax next week too. But that doesn't mean we won't have much to talk about. We'll still have stuff to talk about. But um, just gonna let you know we we might not record Wednesday night live next week it might be a tuesday night or a thursday night at this point that's probably what we're looking at so keep it to at Bengals obi on twitter for the information on that or if you just don't hear about it it'll be on the feed and you can continue to download this program as you usually do on itunes on youtube on stitcher on google play at cincyjungle.com and at art 19 so appreciate all of that we're going to get to some listener questions you can call or text in 949-542-6241-949-542-6241 and we will uh, try and get to your questions as we can call or text Uh, we do have an email question already that was sent to us from our uh a, a listener, a regular listener of ours, and quite apropos because it's from Michael Myers. As we are on the the precipice of Halloween, <laughs> um, Michael Myers has an email that says, "Hi, it's it's a little lengthy, so I'm going to try and get to the, the meat of it." Hi, Anthony. Just wanted your opinion on this, and no, it's not due to the loss of the Chiefs, but more about the past few seasons and an article I read today. Could we see another exodus like the Raiders are doing anytime soon? Now, in case you missed it, both the Raiders and the Giants appear to be in fire sale mode. Um, 
could we could we see a, a a mass exodus of players? We've seen the Bengals do this already with Chad Carson, TJ in 2010. Uh, the Raiders have given up, all, all, but only but did acquire three first round picks in the next three years. Um, he mentions the Browns. Could we see Andy? Dalton, Green, Burfick, Kirkpatrick, and others be on the outs due to an age, due to age and a season that is not looking good. Um, not to mention Marvin's lack of success. So, uh, I, I'm going to tell you this: Gino and Carlos Dunlap will probably not be in this conversation because they just signed extensions this offseason. But there are other stars that that could be, and you never know. I don't think this is in the DNA of an Andy Dalton or an AJ Green, but you never know about disgruntled guys. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of losing, losing to the Steelers, all of that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think the the Bengals are usually conservative. They don't really do that, but they, if they get an offer on the table and they see it declining, the thing is, is Carson wanted out. Their hand was forced there. Chad was declining and he was disgruntled. Their hand was somewhat forced there. Keith Rivers was another guy that was a high pick that they're, you know, they just kind of said, dude, we got to get rid of this guy and get what we can. Um, I still think that, you know, Andy, AJ, all those guys, you know, Andy has his ups and downs, but he's been playing relatively well this year. These guys still are playing well and are probably plateauing at this point. Yeah. Um, your, your thoughts on, on that email from Michael Myers, John. So the thing about the Raiders and the Giants specifically is that John Green signed a 10-year contract. Pat Schirmer was also a, a new head coach this year. Those are two brand-new regimes that, ha- that both organizations are thinking long-term. And obviously, both of them have been at one win on the season. They're kind of in similar positions where you know they're basically tanking, even if they won't say they are tanking. And, you know, the head coaches want to get, you know, clear the roster out of guys that they didn't initially bring in, you know, get whatever assets they can to kind of build their own versions of the team. And specifically with the Raiders, you know, Gruden is already thinking about Vegas. He's not thinking about the next year in Oakland at this point anymore. Next year is basically, you know, a watch. He's thinking about 2020. He's thinking about playing in that brand new statement in in Las Vegas. And if he can get anything for players that he doesn't see in their long-term vision, then he's going to basically get whatever he can. I don't think that's similar for the Bengals because this is Martin Luce is on a two-year contract. I do believe that there is some light at the end of the tunnel for the end of that um, tenure that he's on. And I don't think that the situations are comparable because it's not exactly a new tenure um, ahead of Marvin. And these are kind of still his guys. So I don't think the situations are quite comparable and, Plus, the Bengals don't really do this often, so I just don't think that it's likely to happen because of those reasons. Yeah, and the key phrase there, his guys, quote-unquote, and I, I think when John Gruden uh, took over the took over the Raiders, you know, even even though Khalil Mack's a stud, you know, he, he didn't draft him, all that kind of stuff, and I, I think he got – he felt as if he got, a, you know, a, a big loot there and didn't um, – you know, could, couldn't pass it up, whatever. Amari Cooper, they got another first-round pick. Scott, it, it, I, I don't know if you heard the entire uh, email from, from listener Michael Myers, but basically the, the crux of it is could the Bengals be engaging in a fire sale at some point? Now, they're in kind of a tricky window because the trade deadline's on the 30th, 
Um, and the Bengals are still four and three right in the mix of the AFC North, whereas the, the Raiders, uh, one of the teams mentioned, and then we mentioned the Giants and other teams that are engaging in fire sales. Um, they're not in the mix. They're collecting picks and trying to get the, uh, as many high picks as possible. But could we see at some point if this team goes – six and 10 or what have you. Could we see this team potentially trade some of its stars, AJ Green, Andy Dalton, um, like they did with Carson, Chad, et cetera? I'm going to say no for two reasons. One would be um, just the simple fact that uh, I just don't think they are creative enough to do something like that, to intentionally, they don't seem to have the mindset. I mean, um, John mentioned earlier, as far as like the them trading and using picks like within the draft, and they just don't seem to have that mindset of thinking beyond. Okay, we grab our picks, our consent, our contempt, you know, uh, con- yeah, can't think of the word right now. Compensatory picks. Yeah, you know, they. <laughs> I, I just don't see them having the forward-thinking mindset to say, "Hey, let's you know think a little for." The other reason I don't see it is because both Marvin Lewis and owner Mike Brown are on something of a ticking clock. Um, Mike Brown is an older man. His brother has not passed away at a younger age. His dad passed away at a really young age. I would have to assume he probably feels he's not going to be around for another 80, 90 years. And I think that's part of the reason why he's kept Mike or Marvin Lewis, because he kind of knows I don't want to have to go through that rebuild. I want to try to get a championship while I still can so I don't see him blowing it up, doing anything, replacing coaches, you know, anything crazy. And obviously mm-hmm. Marvin is on a, you know, he's kind of well stayed beyond where he probably should have, but I, I don't see him doing anything either because unless you're on a 10 year deal, like, you, you know, you mentioned with John Gruden, where, you know, you have that security, you know, without that, uh, you know, that job security, you, there's really no, nothing, there's no benefit for you to tank for the next guy. You know, you're not going to – no one's going to say, yeah, I'm in this temporarily. I'll go ahead and tank. You can get a bunch of picks and get a bunch of future guys that the next guy can win with. You know, usually, you know, coaches aren't that altruistic. They (laughs) tend to be a little more selfish as far as what can I do, build my legacy, build my wins, um, even if it doesn't help the future because I'm looking right here right now. So for those reasons, I would be very surprised to see them do anything more than just like – one random trade. Yeah, and 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 the 2010 and 2011 draft classes have really shaped the success of the Bengals in recent years. Um, you know, yeah, they've you know Kevin Zeitler was a successful guy um, in in the 2012 draft, and Eifert had his moments. Perfect has had his moments, but uh, even though he's undrafted, but really those first two classes have have netted the most star. Those 2010, 2011 classes have netted the most stars and. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, the the other high high picks have not really pulled the same weight as as those picks. So if the Bengals do engage in a fire sale, they sure as hell better get get guys that can impact the game right away. We do have a call on the line. It is from our good friend John from Kentucky. Uh, first of all, thanks Michael Myers for your email and John from Kentucky. How are you, sir? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Anthony, and uh, you guys do a great job on this podcast. Thank you. And, hey, this weekend, and this is going to be a good game coming up against Tampa Bay because the Bengals are not strong enough right now to dominate Tampa Bay. And I don't think Tampa Bay is really going to come into Cincinnati and embarrass the Bengals. I think we're going to have a really close game, maybe a 
I, I think it's going to be very entertaining. Um, and bear in mind, too, yeah, we got humiliated by the Chiefs, but we had just played Pittsburgh. And normally, after we've just played Pittsburgh the game after, we don't do that well. How many times have we gone to the playoffs and we just played Pittsburgh the week before and Baltimore and we're tired, we're half beat up, we look terrible. I mean, this is the AFC North. And the, the position the Bengals are in, regardless of who owns them or, or who coaches them, this is a smash-mouth division. And people get hurt in this division. And I don't know why, what's going on? We've lost three tight ends. Uh, what is it about playing tight end for the Bengals that is one of the most dangerous situations <laughs> in the United States? Yeah, I, I don't know there, John. Um I, it's it's hard to explain, but I, I you know I, I think that um, you're still there, Andy. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, I, I I don't know there, John. I I think that unfortunately, um, I, I think tight end in general is just a dangerous position in the NFL because you're asked to block a lot of times, similar to a tight end, but you're also asked to go across the middle and take some big hits. I mean, Rob Gronkowski, known as the best tight end in the NFL is on the injury report almost every week mm-hmm. uh, and missing games all the time. So, I mean, I, I, I think, I don't, I don't think it's just a Bengals thing, but I do think that, um, you know, it's just a dangerous position to play. Uh, I do, I do appreciate your upbeat nature and I do, I do appreciate your good point that you made about the AFC North and what, what that entails, obviously, now there's been a, a Roger Goodell in this last couple of years has made kind of a mandate that schedules pretty much usually end on a on an important divisional game because they don't like to see teams do that rest rest your starters type of thing. They want to see the ratings and all of that um, and have games matter until the very last week of the season. So um, I think that's part of it. But uh, Scott, your thoughts on John's comments and John, we're, we're going to, we're going to get you off the air real quick before we do though, uh, prediction for Sunday. I, I see a lot, like you said, I see a fun game, but maybe one with a lot of wacky turnovers and, and interesting, interesting plays your, your quick prediction on, on Sunday against the Buccaneers. I will say Cincinnati in overtime, 27 to 24. Interesting. I like it. Okay. Uh, well, We'll get you off the air, John. I appreciate it. Okay. Hootay. Hootay. <laughs> John, your your thoughts on what uh, John from Kentucky said. Yeah, I think they would do better um, playing the week after they play the Steelers if they actually beat the Steelers for once. I think it's more of just a morality thing. With um, Constant defeat kind of gets you down, and that one-week turnaround can be sometimes a little bit too quick. And to, 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 to John's point, you know, they have played the Steelers on week 17 a few times when they went to the playoffs, and obviously they didn't do well. And I don't think that's specifically just a Steelers issue or playing the Steelers issue. But, like, the, you, like you can't tell me with a straight face that these players aren't sick and tired of losing to the Steelers and how that doesn't somehow take a toll that can carry on for the, for the rest of the week. When you're practicing, you're still thinking about the game. You might not be focused completely on the next team. So, yeah, if they did finding it to Steelers, if they were – in the Steelers position, they wouldn't have a problem. It's just mainly just constantly losing to them rather than just playing them and getting beat up after the game, I think. Yeah, I think it's I think part of it too might just be the team they play. And I don't know why there are certain teams that the Bengals, when they play, they just 
they shouldn't struggle against or that, you know, a certain team, like well, you obviously should beat this guy and they never seem to. And um, this isn't exactly what John was uh, asking about, but when they played the Buccaneers, it just seems like that is a team that for whatever reason, the Bengals, I don't know if they overlook it. They just, and it's different Oi. coaches, different players. Yeah. yeah. But you go back, like the, uh, they've had lost like six or seven in a row until last year. And like the last few, they, they had a better record. They lost by a point when Tampa Bay, came back and outscored them back in 2006 in 2010 they were winning they gave up a halftime lead got beat by three points the next time when they played in 2014 the Bengals were you know had a much better record Tampa Bay was two and ten the Bengals barely held on to win that one uh, they were you know half a minute to go Tampa Bay was driving down the field and they were able to stop them on a completed fourth and long that where Tampa just came short. So for whatever reason, yeah, you like you have those teams that, and, and obviously like, you know, he's saying like after you play a certain game, but I think a probably bigger thing than NFL would be like a, a night game or a Monday game where you have that short week. I, I don't know if Sunday night would have been enough to yeah. make the Bengals not play as well. But I think that may be coupled with the fact that for whatever reason, Marvin's teams, when they play Tampa, just don't seem to, play very well so i'd like you, you we can kind of look at the game and think man tampa scores a bunch of points but their defense is horrible you know it should be high scoring high scoring but i don't i don't know it's, just, it's so hard to say because these when these teams play it's just yeah, it almost yeah. looks like remember that remember that 2006 game with justin smith and and that weird uh roughing the passer <laughs> it was like a 13 Thirteen to seven game. It was just something ridiculous. It was we're going we're going way back into history there, but um, it uh, I don't know I don't know. I, I, John, you're laughing. I, I don't know if it's because you remember that game or okay memory. Okay. Yeah that 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 was a disaster. Uh, guys, we have another good friend on the line, Terrell uh, from Cincinnati. Terrell, how are you, sir? How you doing, sir? Good. Good. We're doing, we're doing well. I mean, two straight losses. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. But, uh, how are you? Uh, no, I'm not, uh, well, I just got a couple, couple points. Uh, I just think that we just kind of got away from, uh, from preseason going we kind of got away from like the mixture of like the young energizer and the, the vets, and it kind of slowed down when they uh, played against the big boys like the Steelers and the Chiefs and the Panthers. That um, really the, the two ones really were the Steelers and the uh, the Steelers and the, uh, the Chiefs. And I believe like the uh, the, the, uh, the Chiefs, the Steelers game. I think the defensive coordinator fumbled on that one. And that's what they got the And then uh, the Chiefs game, I think the uh, rookies panicked and the event kind of was uh, lost a little bit. And uh, a mixture of these was coordinated too, and then a mixture of a little bit of everybody just in sync. And then the third receiver, who was the third receiver, who was the second receiver, and everybody felt like that. But anyway, I just want to see Westerman at right guard. Uh, so I'm playing time for Jefferson. And Jim Haslin as defensive coordinator or defensive line coach to try to put I can fire Terrell Hopkins but the note a little bit like that's well, a lot of good points there, Terrell. We're going to talk about them off the air with you, and you made some amazing points. Always appreciate you calling in. Continue to be a regular, sir. Appreciate it, and hopefully you get to win. Uh, uh, no problem, y'all. Y'all, uh, this is the best game with channel on earth. Okay, I was get 
It's like, I, I top 10, number one. Just killing everybody. I like the little gang I was playing about the uh, little GM game. I don't know if y'all did it on purpose, but that's how I feel like after what y'all was doing earlier. Oh, nice. Well, I appreciate the compliment, man. You're welcome on here anytime. Appreciate it. And uh, you brought up some great points that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, you know, there there's a lot here from from Terrell, and uh, <laughs> you, you can go to, you know, obviously the coaching situation and possible changes there. Um, I like what he said though about kind of the young the young guys and and playing all that. John, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you on this one because you do the weekly linemen on Cincy Jungle. You watch some tape. There's also a post on Cincy Jungle about snap distribution. And I thought Terrell brought up a good point about hey, you know, things were working against Miami, against Atlanta when you know, yeah, Willis isn't getting in the stat sheet, but he's in there. Sam Hubbard is making some impact plays here and there. Um, yet against the Chiefs and, and the Steelers, Cincinnati went with the veterans. They went with Michael Johnson. How many? I don't. I don't think they calculated it correctly because I think Michael Johnson is still missing backfield tackles against Kareem Hunt as we sit here tonight. <laughs> I mean, there, there was like there were like three at least where I'm like, dude, wrap the guy up. Um, yeah. And I love Michael Johnson. I love him as a guy. I love him in the locker room. I I, I think he's a good rotational guy in this team. But still, he gets. The bulk of the snaps. Um, I, w when's that going to change? I, you know, w it, you look at uh, he talked. Uh, Terrell also talked about Westerman. Um, there's just this bullheadedness with Marvin Lewis and the staff, and I don't get it. Yeah, and the Westerman issue has nothing to do with veterans. Alex Redman, who's a third-year undrafted guy, it, it, Mark Lewis just has favorites, and that's just something that we've come to accept. And like. He's not, he's not just like Alexander. Paul Alexander wasn't going to talk bad about Russell Bodine. Marvin Lewis isn't going to talk bad about Alex Redmond. So that's just something that we can just forget about, I guess. And I, I'm partially to blame because I brought it up earlier. But with Michael Johnson, I think it's I think it's more of just a, a thing about with with Willis and Hubbard. I haven't been too impressed with either of those guys so far this year. And obviously Hubbard's a rookie. Willis is a second year guy, and I expected to see some type of jump with him. And we haven't quite seen it yet. And I think that's partially to the reason why Johnson is still out there for more snaps than what we would like to see, because, you know, we know what we're getting with him. We don't exactly know what we're getting with either Willis or Hubbard at this point. Hubbard's made some great splash plays. I'll give him that, but there's not been any realm or any sense of consistency with him. And I mean, with Willis, you would think that he'd be able to do the same thing as Johnson, but he just hasn't, he hasn't really put it all together yet. And I think that's still something that we need to see before we officially pound the table against Johnson. And like you're like, like Vincent Gray is basically in the same boat as Johnson, right? Like why he's out on the field getting completely blown up on second level blocks. I, I just don't know. I don't know why you don't try someone else there, but with, with, specifically with Johnson and I guess Redmond, it's just, it, it's, it's just that stubbornness, I guess. And it's just that, that bullish on certain guys that, you know, in the middle of the season, you'd like to see change, and it's just it just doesn't happen under Lewis, I guess. Yeah, and kudos to Rebecca Toback and our again our good friend Joe Goodberry, two very good follows on Twitter as well as um, you, John Scott. I'd I'd mention you as a good follow on Twitter, but you're not you're not the you're not the most omnipresent Twitter guy. But kudos to them in terms of them bringing up the amount of pressures that Alex Redmond has allowed this year. Alex Redmond's been okay in the run game. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but he has given up, he is on pace to give up by far the most pressures that any offensive guard has given up in the NFL in the, uh, in the last handful of years. Um, I think he's on pace for over 70 at this point right now, which is unbelievable. He had six against the chiefs. Um, Scott, you and I have been around these parts for a while. We've seen a lot of things. We've seen a lot of stubbornness from Marvin Lewis. Um, I, I've got. I want to. T- I want you to touch on that point, but I also want to touch on another kind of caveat that Terrell sort of talked about, but didn't specifically mention. And my, th- and that's Joe Mixon, because my thing is with this is you have injuries to Croft, Eifert, Geo, and uh, Ross. I mean. You kind of got to say, okay, we were this, you know, pass happy offense the first three, four weeks, and we had all of these guys. Now we don't. Mixon still is showing, regardless, that he can be effective. Um, granted, it's mostly draws, delays, and, and and things of that nature. So, I, I want you to talk about a little bit about the stubbornness of Marvin Lewis and his reluctance to change some of these positions, but also Joe Mixon, and. Uh, you know, the fact that they should be relying on this guy a bit more. The carries have dropped the past couple of weeks. They should be relying on this guy a bit more, especially with the injuries, right? Yeah, and I think uh, starting with that one, yeah, you look at the carries, he's averaging 12 yards, or not 12 yards a carry. It'd be pretty awesome. 12 (laughs) carries a game the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the first three, the first three games, the first two, and then the first one back from the injury, he had 17, 21, and 22. So right there around 20, all the sudden's dropping off. And the difference is in those other two, they were losing. And it's almost like they just get away from what they're good at, what they, what works. When they're losing, they tend to get away from, okay, we're just going to run the ball. We're going to run. We're going to trust this guy who is a very good runner when he has the ball. And the Pittsburgh game, he averaged like almost six yards a carry. And that's like when they played Pittsburgh last year when and it was early in the year when he uh, made that comment about how he's out playing Le'Veon Bell. And in that game, he did. In that game, I mean, he averaged, what, six, seven yards a carry. You know, I had five carries and didn't touch it again in the second half and was uh, upset about it. And But it's just, a yeah, sometimes they're, they just kind of get away from certain things that work. And that's kind of something I mentioned earlier about the adjustments. Like, you need to have – someone on their staff, either an, someone who's actually a coach or someone with them that says, hey, you know, kind of slaps them with the wet towel or whatever and helps them get back, you know, reoriented or whatever it is. And then as far as the, uh, yeah, the stubbornness thing, like you said, we've we've seen that quite a bit with him. And I think many fans heading into the preseason and into the regular season were kind of hopeful that Westerman would get a lot of playing time and get a legitimate chance to be a starter. And that's something that I think from the beginning of training camp, um, the Bengals were pretty adamant and kind of saying that this guy is not a starter. He's not a starter, even though he was great in preseason. And I know pro football focus said he was great in preseason. And when fans saw him on, you know, in those games, he was great in preseason and the Bengals were like, Nope, it's either Hopkins or red minute, right guard. This guy is just a backup. And you know, for us who have been around a while, it it we've seen several, we've seen examples of that in the past. And pr- the one that people who would be on the Westerman camp would be the most likely to call up is the whole Evan Mathis, Nate Living's thing, where whenever you saw them play, it's like, man, this Mathis ah, guy's ah. pretty good. And you watch Living's like, man, why do they keep running him out there? And they let Mathis go, and he becomes an All Pro. But then 
there's also other times like Anthony Collins. When he was a Bengal, he was a left tackle. He subbed in occasionally for Andrew Whitworth when there were injuries or whatever. He looked decent. Like, wow, this guy looks pretty good. He looks like a good pass protector. I don't know why they don't put this guy on the line somewhere let him start. So he hit free agency after his rookie contract. Tampa Bay signs him to a big contract, and Bengals fans are like, grr, you know, cursing it. How dare you let this guy get away? And and Tampa Bay, I think, cut him before the year was out because yeah. he just wasn't as good as we thought he was. So it's it's really hard to know with Westerman until they give him a chance. You know, is he uh, Evan Mathis and the Bengals are just being stubborn and, you know, stupid? Or is he Anthony Collins? And maybe they're seeing something at practice we don't see. And, okay, he's good in flashes against, you know, lesser opponents or in, like, little brief periods. But at the end of the day, he's just not the lineman that, you know, fans think he is. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. Um, the Evan Mathis, Nate Living's thing. Good God. That was just <laughs> – dude, really? Um, and, and that's kind of what's frustrating here. You know, I mean, you kind of see some things, and, and I, I, I guess this is where both coaches and, and myself I, – I really respect pro football focus. I really like the metrics. I really like it, but I don't love it. There are certain things where you kind of go, well, yeah. But, I mean, in, in the case of Redmond, they're counting pressures that he lets up. And he's ridiculous in terms of that. But the Bengals – this is what I don't understand. I think the Bengals really like the, the quote-unquote nastiness of Redmond, especially in the run game. But then we talk about Joe Mixon not getting enough carries. So if you're going to be a ground-and-pound team and you want to trot Redmond out there, fine. But run the ball. If, if you're going to do that and trot him out there where pass protection is definitely not his forte, the stats show it then that, that, that doesn't make sense to me. There could be a change coming back. Billy Price did practice Wednesday. We don't think he's going to play Sunday. We'll see. Uh, but there could be a change where either he or Trey Hopkins could maybe move to right guard. Trey Hopkins hasn't been great at center, but I think he's been better than most people thought. I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought he'd be a borderline disaster. Uh, secondary position. Typical Bengals offensive line deal. Let's put a guy into a position that's a secondary position and start him, right? Um so uh, that that's my thing, and I think now just because of the injuries and everything, I think that Joe Mixon kind of needs to be a guy that they rely on, and I think the stats show that the Bengals run most of their successful plays. John, you can corroborate this out of their out of the shotgun, and they run a lot of their successful run plays out of draws, delays, things like that, especially with Mixon and his patience um, to to kind of find creases. They noted on on. Sunday Night Football, where he, you know, even Chris Collinsworth said he looks Le'Veon Bell-esque on some of these runs where he's just waiting and finding the hole, and he'll get five, six, sometimes eight, nine yards. Um, And I think that that's going to get the the team in more manageable third-down situations, which has been a killer for them the past two weeks, right? Yeah, agreed. And to to that point, like, just because Mixon can't run under center as well doesn't mean he's a bad running back. The best example is Todd Gurley, who – um, if you watch Todd Gurley, he's a, he's a beast out of outside zone, but for whatever reason, he doesn't do well inside zone. And that's just a little bit, it's just a little intricacies in the running game where, you know, some, as long as Mixon is good in some place, they should just use him there. And I, and I get that like in, you know, in the modern day, like passing the ball is just more efficient than running the ball. But if you don't have the offensive line to pass protect, you might as well just lean on a solid running game where you know you, you're going to have success. And I think the Bengals have that and they just need to, they just need to do it. Yep. We're going to get out of here with one quick, because we have the return of Scott Schulte. 
we're going to get out of here with one quick, just kind of general fantasy football question. Scott, um, I, and, and Scott, in case you remember, is our resident fantasy football expert. Last year, I was I was pounding my chest because I won my league. This year, I am a seller dweller, my friend. Um, some of it has to do with injury. Some of it had to do with I took some big gambles on guys like Eifert, Josh Gordon, John Ross. Late round, mind you, late round. But um, it's been a, a bit of a gamble. Who are some guys now? Or, or even if defense kickers, whoever, who are some players now? Maybe Amari Cooper, now that he's on Dallas. Um, some guys that you think, hey, waiver wire pickup, this is a guy who could salvage your season as you're midway through the year. There, well, I guess it's really not a great answer because a lot of it depends on who's available in your league. I mean, right. there's a lot of different leagues and some are, you know, guys who tend to be a little more savvy. And so any name I mentioned is going or, to be taken. trade. If they're not free agents, yeah. maybe trade. And that's not too, like if you read any of these articles or like, oh, grab this guy. He's only owning like 25% of leagues. I tend to be in those leagues where like they're the 25% and that those are the guys that are never available. Yeah. And, but uh, yeah, that being said, the, usually the, the best, just as a, I'll give you a rule of thumb and then maybe give you a couple names as maybe like some really, really deep, desperate guys, depending if you have like a really deep roster. But uh, a general rule of thumb that I've used historically has been uh, you can't score points if you are not getting touches. So for me, the biggest thing is looking at when you're looking at adding a guy, maybe on waivers, maybe someone who is out there because he's underperformed or hasn't done a lot is uh, the guys who maybe are getting a lot of targets in the passing game, but just aren't um, for whatever reason, haven't converted that to a bunch of points yet. I mean, obviously a touchdown's worth a lot more than, you know, a, a catch and a, a and yardage and, but those are very fluky. And so what'll happen is early in the year, the guys who, you know, get all their touchdowns front loaded in the season are going to be the guys who are getting scooped up in waivers and the guys who maybe are getting a lot of targets are getting a you know high snap count percentage who are used a lot in the passing game, but aren't necessarily getting those touchdowns right now. Uh, those are the guys who are going to be available. So as a rule of thumb, those are the guys I, I, I generally target. And like anything else, it's not 100% foolproof, but generally the guys who you know are getting snaps, are getting on the field, are getting targets, are getting you know looks. Those are the guys who at, at the end of the day, you know, at the end of week 17, and you're all done, and you look at their numbers, you're like, yeah, that guy was available. He was, he was out there. That was someone maybe I should have grabbed when he was available. And uh, just a couple names that are coming to mind, because this is kind of just like shooting from the hip, but uh, those guys come back from injury, like Jack Doyle, who was a low TE tight end, maybe high tight end too, kind of a guy, but depending on what your situation is, uh, he's kind of been passed up on as far as people's uh, perspective because Eric Abram's been doing so good. But one of the reasons Abram's been doing so well is because Doyle's been hurt. Doyle's coming back. He's probably available. He might be a desperation grab. Another really deep guy is Traquan Smith. Don't know if anyone knows who that is, but he is a receiver for the Saints. And now with Ted Ginn on IR, he's supposed to be there next the the next guy up and his uh, snap counts have kind of shown it the last couple of weeks that he is basically stepping in that role and I mean I'm not going to I wouldn't say he should be your top receiver but you know he's someone to look at uh, another guy uh, yeah there's so many guys I could just sit here and name a million names the problem is it just depends on who's available in your league but I, um, and as far as you mentioned defense one thing I I'm a big believer in 
drafting defenses really late uh, last round or even after that. And the main reason is because it's all based on touchdowns and defensive touchdowns are super fluky. And this is the time of year when, you know, teams have cut a defense because they went on a buy or, you know, something happened. And it's a, I'm a big believer kind of looking at, okay, who are they playing the next three, four weeks? You know, who is this defense lineup against? And oh man, this team, like if you find that defense that has some really good matchups that maybe got cut or maybe isn't the best defense, because at the end of the day, you could take the, NF- the NFL's best defense and the NFL's like 15th best defense on any given week in fantasy. The 15th best defense or 20th is just as likely to score points for you as that first best defense because it's all based on interceptions. And you, know, you tip a ball, you get interception, you get a fluky touchdown, like the two touchdowns the Bengals had against the Dolphins. I mean, you really can't account for that on any defensive metric or project that. You can't really project, you know, that Sam Hubbard and Michael Johnson are going to run in and get you 12 points in fantasy. <laughs> so, with with def, you know with defenses that's a, a nice way to steal points just kind of and that way you're not hoarding roster spots and some people like to have two defenses because they like to to me as it's wasting roster spots so just kind of i don't know they call it defensive streaming where you just kind of go week by week um there, another thing if you're depending on the league one thing also look at doing if you are if your starting quarterback has passed your bye if he's a good quarterback you may not need two quarterbacks because some people are going to keep two quarterbacks on their team. And in doing that, you're kind of wasting a roster spot. And I'm a big believer of you can never have enough running backs because you never know who's going to get hurt. You never uh, kind of like with the, you look at the Patriots, they lost uh, Rex Burkhead. They put Sonny Michelle out there. Well now Sonny Michelle's hurt. And now it's, um, you know, someone like Ken John Barner or uh, James White is going to get more touches. Well, those guys may have been available a few weeks ago because you know, guys like Burkhead and Sonny Michelle were getting all the love before Burkhead got hurt. And uh, But if you were using that roster spotter on a second quarterback and a second defense, well, you missed out on the opportunity to kind of scarf, scarf up those uh, or scoop up those extra guys when you could. So I'm you know, big believer of hoarding, <laughs> hoarding running backs uh, like that Michael Douglas. One of them says greed is good. When it comes to running backs, greed is good. Uh, and – yeah, kind of keep the positions you need and look for opportunity. It's a lot of guys will make waiver picks chasing points from a week or two ago because a guy gets, you know, backup tight end gets two fluky catches for touchdowns in the fourth quarter and everyone goes and grabs him and he hasn't scored a touchdown the whole rest of the year. Instead, I I I tend to chase the guy that, okay, who's the tight end that he got a bunch of looks in the maybe in the red zone or in the maybe had seven or eight targets two three weeks in a row but just it just didn't work out but you know this guy is going to get his when it's all said and done those are the guys i'm i guess i'd said be more likely to grab so i guess that's more of a principle than a specific name yeah and I, i'll say this for me philip Lindsay was a good little week two week three waiver wire pick <laughs> Um, he was a guy that was just floating out there and all of a sudden I picked him up. So thanks for the fantasy football info, Scott. Good to have you back. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Art19, and Cincy Jungle. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI. Our thanks to Gene Thomas of Buck What You Heard podcast. He was awesome. He brought some great knowledge and uh, looking forward to this Sunday. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to get out of here. My thanks to Scott Schultz, who uh, rejoined us. Hopefully you make it a more regular thing, my friend. And to John Sheeran, my co-host as well. Hey, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you to all of our listeners. We'll see you next time.
I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Smart.